Good morning. Would you all bow your heads with me and pray? Father, we continue to thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. Father, my prayer has been and continues to be right now, Lord, that you would expand our understanding of this grace. That you would help us to see. That you would open up your word to us. That you would help me to share, Lord, what you have shown me. May your church hear your word despite me, God. May they be moved to action, Lord. Because we have been given a great grace. We look to you this morning, God. We lean on you knowing that your grace is sufficient. We stand by your grace, Lord. All that we do, Lord, is because of you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to um, open up with a couple of illustrations that I think will help me in communicating the message today, they're intended to be humorous, but if they're not, I didn't write them. <laughs> but they do make a point. And more than getting a chuckle, I hope that we get the point. First one goes like this. A mom gives her son two quarters. She tells him, son, one quarter's for God so that when the offering plate passes you, you can give this morning. The other quarter is for after church, you can buy yourself some ice cream. While walking to church, a little boy is walking, flipping his quarter up and down with his thumb, catching it in his hand. While during the course of that, he drops the quarter, it falls to the ground, and it rolls towards the opening of a sewer cap, and down goes the quarter. The little boy looks down. He shakes his head in disbelief. He's a little distressed by it. Then he looks up and says... God, you know I meant to give you that quarter. The other one goes like this. In a church in the deep south, again, I didn't write this. The preacher was moving toward the end of his sermon with a growing crescendo. I hope I said that right. And he said, the church, like a crippled man, has got to get up and walk. And the congregation responded, That's right, Reverend, let it walk. And then he added, This church, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, has got to run. The church was, Run, let it run, preacher, let us run. The church has got to mount up on wings like an eagle and fly. Oh, at that point, the church was, Let it fly, preacher, let it fly. <laughs> And he says at the end, Now if this church is going to fly, it's going to take some money. Let it walk, preachers. Let it walk. <laughs> and what we have with these two examples is a missed opportunity and a loss of enthusiasm. And I hope that as we move along the story, you'll be able to see that. Um, I was a bit nervous when Ralph asked me to specifically be a part of 
uh, this talk of the series. And uh, early on as I began to study, I mean, one of the first pieces of information that I came across was that Jesus said a lot about money. He had a lot to say about it. About one-sixth of the Gospels and one-third of the parables address the subject of money. More is said about money than any one single uh, subject uh, in regards to sin. Even immorality is spoken of in the Gospels and specifically in his parables. And in Matthew 6 and 12, we, we find where Jesus said that, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the one thing that matters the most to you and me is going to be reflected in how we spend our, uh, our time, our energy, and our money. And when it comes to money, I want to ask, where is your heart? And as we continue in this series, A Life of Worship, you can't do it without talking about money. Because at the heart of worship is a surrender of it all to Him. But that doesn't always seem to be true when it comes to money, as I've attempted to illustrate uh, with the opening stories. I mean, we sing about all to Jesus, right? We sing it in different ways, different songs that say the same thing. All to Jesus. But do we mean it? How is it reflected in our giving? What is it? What does that reflect? And my hope is that we can walk away with some answers as we go through Second Corinthians chapter 8. And I would like for you to turn, your, turn with me in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 8 as I read through these verses. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he had, we um, urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you. But also, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing of it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, 
it is accepted according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be fairness. And as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Today's passage deals with a commitment reneged by the Corinthian church. It was about a contribution towards a special offering that Paul had been collecting for the relief of the Christians in Jerusalem. A year had passed, and the Corinthians still had not fulfilled their commitment. Now, there were a number of issues with the Corinthian church, to say the least. You've got to read 1 Corinthians. And Paul continues dealing with different issues within the church, with his beloved children as he referred to them in 1 Corinthians. He continues working through these issues by teaching them about grace. Paul addresses the issue of grace or the issue of giving by talking about grace. And my desire... My desire for our church, Good News Bible Church, is that you would be right in your thinking about giving as well as your approach to giving. So, and I stand here as one, as I've read through this passage numerous times, our mosaic studied it for several weeks. I stand convicted, challenged, and encouraged by it. And my hope would be that you would too. It's a little overwhelming because grace is a big word. What does it mean? And the goal today is not to try to explain what it means, but to show what it looks like. Grace giving is God's grace flowing from our hearts in spite of our circumstances. Grace giving is understanding grace experientially in a practical way. We will see what grace looks like. And grace giving is an expression of worship. Grace giving is a proof of love. A little more background before we get going, because who are the churches of Macedonia? Who are these people? The churches of Macedonia, they had been planted by Paul in a second missionary journey. They were Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And you could read more about this in Acts chapter 16 and 17. Macedonia was also the first region in Europe to accept Christianity after God had sent Paul from Asia Minor. The Macedonians, they were also Gentile Christians. And there's a lesson in there too. A little bit more on that later. So we begin. Paul begins rather. He begins by saying that we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Specifically what it's saying about the grace of God given among the churches of Macedonia. But the focus is really of Paul wanting them to know about the grace of God. And and this church leadership wants you, good news, to understand about the grace of God. And if we understand nothing in today's talk, we need to understand this, because grace originates with God. Okay? I think Matthew Henry said it beautifully. He said, If... um, that the grace of God must be understood as the root and source of all the good that is in us or done by us at any time. 
And it is a great grace and favor from God bestowed on us if we're made useful to others and are forwarded to do any good work. It's kind of wonder if you're just kind of being a little careful so that the focus is not going to the church of Macedonia, but it's God. Grace giving is empowered by God. And what this passage shows is that, is that grace is received and it's also about a grace that's paid forward. It's about not just knowing what grace means, but what grace looks like. It's about experiential grace. It's about an experiential grace. It's about an applied knowledge that comes from a direct participation on our part. And basically it means, you know what grace means? Then you do it. I mean, it's good to study. It's good to read. That's kind of usually the beginning of understanding. And as we study theology, we learn that grace is an attribute of God. It's not just a mere description of God, but it's describing the essence of who God is. But at the end of the day, a true understanding of that knowledge is reflected in our lives, in the actions that we take, the decisions that we make. What does grace look like? Grace begins with God as the source. And the ebb and flow of God's grace begins with Him, runs through us, and comes back to Him in praise and thanksgiving. And we see this happening with the churches of Macedonia in that when they gave, they gave under very severe circumstances. Okay? The conditions that they gave. And I'd like to offer one short Illustration that I think will help make the point. In case I miss it, I don't want you to miss it. And it's, it, it sadly illustrates that it's usually those that have the least that give the most. They're the most generous givers. But I do want to add, I want to acknowledge, because I've heard the testimonies of those whom God has given much, affluent Christians who have given much, who have poured out their heart. But I think that even they will affirm that that's not always the case. Charles Spurgeon, he tells of receiving a wealthy man's invitation to come preach at his rural church to help the members uh, raise funds to pay off a debt. The man also told Spurgeon that he was free to use his country house, his townhouse, or his seaside home. Spurgeon wrote back and said, Sell one of your places and pay the debt off yourself. It's logical to assume that one who's prosperous and has much, right, would be the generous one because it's obvious that they have the resources. But how is it possible for extreme poverty to overflow in a wealth of liberal generosity? Again, one word, it's grace. And we see this evidence in the churches of Macedonia. Let's read those opening verses again just to kind of see. Okay? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means. And I can testify, and beyond their means, 
of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Wow. In addition, I mean, it doesn't say much. It just says what they did. And I just kind of kept wanting to know, and, and, and as I considered the context of what's being said in this chapter, in the context of the book, you see it in the opening chapter, chapter 1, where Paul states that God is a God of comfort who comforts us in all afflictions so that you, in turn, can comfort those in any affliction, right? He also goes on to explain that uh, we go through these afflictions because God is trying to make us less dependent on ourselves and more dependent on Him. There's a purpose as to why God allows us to go through afflictions. And you see that being played out in the, church of the, Mas- uh, the, the churches in Macedonia. They understood that. And Paul, as he's trying to get the church to understand about, about giving, he, he uses this beautiful example of a people who were suffering severely, who were in deep poverty, dirt poor, is where they were at. But yet, they gave. And they begged to give. What a picture of understanding what grace is. Somewhere in their discipleship, they were taught this. I mean, we have other epistles that show that. They also learned that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. They own nothing. I think it's a lesson for us. We own nothing. They were ambassadors of another kingdom. Therefore, they were stewards of all that passed through their hands. And so were we. Paul taught these truths to all the churches. These truths. My mouth is dry. These truths to all the churches. Their perspective was such. It was a, it was a focus on God and a surrender to His will that the result was God's grace flowing through them. The ones that had nothing, they gave. They gave out of the abundance of their heart. It overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Yet the one who did have, did not give. And I can point you to verse 14 where it just clearly shows that. And it's odd, you know, when, when you keep reading something over and over, you become so familiar you know, with it that you kind of, you know, you miss it. And just a few days ago, I saw it. And I have a witness in Ralph. He knows how many times I've read 2 Corinthians. It says in verse 14 that your abundance at the present time should supply their need. But it wasn't. They weren't doing it, even though they had it. And here was a church who didn't have it, but they were given it. And they were given it abundantly. So God, in His wisdom... He used a group of Christians and displayed his power through their weakness, great affliction, severe poverty, and took away all the reasons to why they didn't give. And i got to admit that I changed that word this morning. He took away all their excuses. And I mentioned it because the word just popped into my head again. God took away their excuses. And that's kind of what we're facing. What, what are our excuses? Why, why aren't we giving? 
No specifics are given to us as to why this church was so impoverished or, or why was it going through such a severe affliction. I mean, we can probably guess it was because of their faith. They probably lost their jobs and were excluded from the trade guilds, the unions, because they refused to have anything to do with idolatry. I may not know what's going on in your life. I know some, as we've prayed together, I don't know what your afflictions are, but I want to offer you a word of encouragement. God's comfort can be found in His grace. Paul in chapter 12, he speaks of a thorn, a thorn in his flesh. And I like uh, Pastor McDonald who, in frustration, just relates how theologians have wasted so much time trying to figure out what that thorn was. It doesn't matter. It bothered Paul. It bothered Paul enough to ask, God, please take this away from me. And the Lord's response to Paul was, My grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we see that in the churches of Macedonia played out. Now this response that the Lord gave to Paul in the Greek literal translation reads like this. My grace, which is me, is sufficient for you. That's understanding that Grace is not just a mere description of, of who God is, but it's the essence of who He is. It's not a description far away. It is who God is. And we can be encouraged as we face our challenges. Good news that God, grace, which is Him, is sufficient for us, regardless of our circumstances. And some of us, we share similar uh, some, we, we, we have faced some, some mutual challenges today. Several weeks ago, we were afraid that we were going to fall off of some financial cliff. And though they've come up with some compromises and resolutions, we're still not out of hot water yet. They want to raise the debt ceiling. There's a solution. Maybe your circumstance is such where your mortgage is higher than your value of your home. I think we've all experienced that. But yet our taxes still kept going up. Maybe you've lost your job. I know of a guy whose wages were reduced by $5 an hour. The list is long and it's very real. We're all faced with different challenges. What's your fear? What's keeping you from partaking in this ministry of grace? In verse 4, in the ESV, it doesn't say like this, but most other translations, they refer to it as they, they want it to be, they beg to, for the favor, cherish another form of grace, to be a part of this privilege of giving, this ministry of grace in the relief of the saints. Ministry of grace. In other parts of Corinthians, it talks about how we are ambassadors, right? We are ambassadors. We are ministers. God has bestowed on us this ministry, this work in jars of clay. So he knows who he poured it into. In the back of our bulletins, it says, GMBC ministry leaders, ministers, 
all the people of GMBC. And we all have different responsibilities. Some of us teach. Some of us lead here in worship. We have ushers. But we all share one thing. The ministry of grace. We all have that in common. The Macedonians described it as a privilege. They begged to be a part of it. And I say this just because I want you to be encouraged. I'm not trying to... I want to share some fears of mine when I write my checks out. When I hear about pension reform and the solvency of our pension, boy, at any given time during the week, man, I can be down low, but I've learned to take that and bend my knee before the Lord. And when I do that, He reminds me that throughout these years, I've been able to raise a family with one income, and He's provided. And I've seen His faithfulness during those times when I've given. And there's times when I haven't because I needed it for this. It was kind of like the quarter falling down the sewer cap. God, you know I intended to give you that, but i got to pay this. There's so much more to say about that, but as I bend my knee, He's reminded me of that. And He reminds me in His Word that life is more than clothing and life is more than food. And He tells me to seek His kingdom first, to seek Him and His kingdom first, and He will add all these things to you. To you too, good news. God is faithful. His grace is sufficient in all circumstances. And when we truly believe, wow, we have an unbelievable equation that it, it could only make sense in God's economy. I don't know how many have seen Goodwill hunting. I don't think Goodwill could figure this one out. And it goes like this. Great affliction and deep poverty plus grace equal abundant joy and, abound, and abounding liberality. And one more time. Great affliction Deep poverty plus grace equal abundant joy and abounding liberality. Again, that only makes sense in God's economy. His grace is amazing. We learn too as we move along. Verse 5, it says that, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Kind of gives us a little insight as to how that takes place. Well, it takes place with surrender. Huh? We sing about that one too, right? I surrender all. I surrender all. Do we? How is it reflected in our lives, in our giving? When there is true surrender to the Lord, it's an offering of ourselves wholly to Him. And if we do that, if we truly do that, we'll have no trouble giving Him our finances, trusting Him with our finances. In Romans 12, we see that it all begins with that, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship, it says. And simply, what that means is, it's a dedication of the total person to living for God's honor. And the Macedonian churches did that. And again, as we've read, in verse 5. 
Grace giving, therefore, is an act of worship that begins with a total surrender of ourselves to the Lord. True surrender looks like liberal generosity or looks like the liberal generosity of the Macedonian churches. Paul encourages them to excel in everything, verse 6. Excel in faith, knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for what you see. Let me start that over again. In faith, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace. The Corinthians, they were known for their giftedness. But he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. They lacked. And in part, there are some who believe that, well, I don't give, but I do this. No, that's not what he's saying. We are to do and we are to give. You see that in the example in the Old Testament, you see an example of an act of grace when, when uh, after God had given Moses the, the, the plans, the tabernacle, this is what it looks like, go to the people and take up a free will offering, basically. He didn't say free will offering, but take up an offering that they would give as they are prompted, as they are moved. And they gave in such a way that Moses had to say, stop, too much. We see the reversal over here, don't we? We can give God our money and not give Him our hearts. But we cannot say that we've given Him our hearts without giving Him our money. And in large part, it's because of what that represents. Right? Money buys us power. It gives us security. Up until the market crashes. Or we experience a major theft. I remember my first wedding band. It was a nice one. I used to guard that. I wouldn't wear it. I'd only wear it on my days off. It was so nice. I came home one day, I saw a window open, and the thief found my ring. It was just a symbol. It was just a thing. The marriage still stands. Paul is encouraging us to excel in this act of grace. Because it communicates something that in spite of our circumstances, God's grace overshadows those circumstances. And you can take that to the bank. We put our trust in things that are eventually going to not be new anymore. I bought my van brand new 13 years ago, and I got evidence of rust all over her. You know, Jesus said it, right? But one thing he's taught me throughout the years, I'm going to ride that one till she dies. Because there's more to life than having the brand new car. There's more to life than staying up with the latest 
I mean, today's, what is it, Apple i4? Apple 6. I bet you next year, in a year and a half, that's going to be obsolete. But we continue going to these things because of what, how they make us feel. What God has to offer us is eternal. What God has to offer us meets a real need. Let's, let's be like the church of Macedonia, the churches of Macedonia, and partake in this wonderful favor, privilege of giving. This is more than just about us making an appeal because we were in a deficit. It's not a bad thing. It's a responsible thing for us to end a year in black. But we exist, we exist for something much greater than that. We exist to advance the gospel. And we give towards that. But we also give because of it. Is that true, church? Is that true in us? Giving is a proof of love. God's grace giving is a proof of love. And Paul tells the Corinthian church that he's telling them what he's telling them. He's not telling them as a command. But though it is, He's doing so by reminding them of the grace of God and that it begins there. And when, I, when my giving has done, I'll start off that way, when my giving has gone down, it's been when I have not trusted the grace of God, when I have not found it to be sufficient. See, when giving goes down, it's a reflection of the heart. It's, not, it got, it's got nothing to do with the economy. All we got to do is look at these churches and what they lacked. And not only did they not lack, they, they, they lacked money. Another thing that I had mentioned earlier, and I think this is a good time, I got some time here. God's been editing this sermon as I've been going along. You know, and I think it speaks to sometimes our feelings, because our feelings have an influence as to our giving. The churches in Macedonia were Gentiles. They weren't really accepted or with open arms by the Jewish Christians. There was even a battle in Jerusalem as they discussed, should they do this, should they be circumcised, should they do these things in the law? Conclusion was no. But it took a while for that information to get out and for people to learn. And we still kind of add to the gospel, put things add things to it that it should not be. We are saved by grace. God's favor has been, has been bestowed upon us. But these Christians, even though they weren't fully readily accepted with open arms, hey, our Christian brothers over there, they gave the evidence of God's grace in their life. Even through their severe affliction, their deep poverty, and maybe not being fully accepted. We base too much on what we can see, what we could feel. We need to base it in God's grace, and that's done by placing our faith in it and taking that step. I mean, you, you often hear about people that say, well, 
I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. What does that mean? A person, what do you believe in? Because I can have all the faith in the world that I can walk across this stage and stay at this height. And we all know that that's not going to happen. What we're being asked to place our faith in is very real. And the only way that we grow in that and we see in 2 Corinthians that God is taking us from glory to glory. He's growing us. But it only happens as we take that step. With each step, when we stay paralyzed, when we don't move, He's still being gracious to us. But we're not growing in the knowledge of that grace in a way that's reflected by our actions. We need to move. I think two weeks ago I was going to write a check again. This happens more often than y'all think. It's a work in progress. But I've learned, He's taught me. Whenever that happens, I say, Thank you, Lord. You are good. May this, as little as it may seem, advance the work that we're doing here at Good News. Multiply it, Lord. Thank you. And then Monday I run over to Santi and say, because I forgot to bring it on Sunday. I struggle with it sometimes. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And we see that giving has everything to do with the gospel. Our giving is a proof of love. And I didn't come up with that. I'm not that smart. It's in the text. We see it. We see it first uh, in John 3.16. A proof of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It is in giving of His Son that God proved His love for us. And therefore meeting the need, which was death, for sin for us to be reconciled to Him. We also see Jesus as that ultimate proof. And if we could look at verse 9, where it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for us He became poor, so so that you by His poverty might become rich. See, Jesus is the ultimate example of giving. And we are called to follow in his steps. I'd like to offer just five application points I'd like for you to walk away with as you continue to ponder and work through this, prayerfully work through this. The first one is that grace is a volitional act. And we see that in the example of the churches of Macedonia. We have seen under the the circumstances under which they gave. And they gave of their own accord. So I think that it's safe for me to say that we decide if we're going to give because we're given an example of extreme poverty and they gave and and we also see the example of a church that had but didn't give so regardless of the circumstance what the circumstance is I decide if I'm going to give because there's no doubt that God has given 
So what, what's my response going to be? Grace giving is a volitional act, church. Grace giving is done generously. We get stuck on numbers, 10%, whatever. I mean, 10% is a good number to start off, but when you consider the churches of Macedonia, what's 10% of nothing? But yet it says that they gave generously because of the grace of God in them. Grace giving should be done regularly. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. When you get together the first of the week, set it aside regularly. Grace giving should begin now. Because the natural tendency is to put it off until things get a little better. Can I say this? Remember verse 2. They gave, not after the crisis... They gave during their crises and they gave during their time of what? Deep poverty. They gave. And finally, one verse that I got to steal from Nathan's text. Grace giving is done with joy. God loves a cheerful giver. Because we're cheerful, because we're happy, because He has bestowed His grace on us. All that we have, we have because of Him. And if you have nothing and you're breathing, you are experiencing the grace of God. We all are experiencing the grace of God. And as a result, when we can, whatever we have, we give. Like that poor old lady in the temple and Jesus heard. I could just hear all the money just pouring into that thing. But He heard that just like He felt the one touch Him in need and knowing that he was the one and she touched this lady gave knowing that he's the one it's because of him and she gave and he heard it and he made note of it and had everybody take notice and Paul is saying here take notice of the church of Macedonia and the circumstances under which they gave it's a privilege we have been given much church Regardless of where we find ourselves, we have been given much. I've come to really love the story of the churches of Macedonia. I learned that 16 times in these six letters, in, 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 Paul, in six of Paul's letters, they're mentioned. How will we compare good news to the churches of Macedonia? As we are reviewing our mission statement and our five focuses, will we be like the Corinthians that most resemble the, the illustrations that I offered? Both are set off to give as long as the circumstances are in their favor. Or will we be like the churches of Macedonia who gave, who their giving was dictated by the grace of God, Giving has everything to do with the gospel and that we give again towards the advancement of it and we also give because of it. When you consider the number of times that the word grace is used in Corinthians, it's only second to Romans. There are 14 mentions of the word grace throughout. Five alone in chapter 5. This book, this chapter, oozes grace. Grace giving is God's grace flowing from our hearts.
Grace giving is understanding grace experientially in practice. Grace giving is an expression of our worship to our God. Grace giving is a proof of love. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you. And Father God, we ask for your forgiveness. That again we thank you, Lord, for even in these ups and downs, Lord, you are bringing us from glory to glory. And I pray, God, that you would help us again to continue to grow in our understanding and that it would be reflected in this act of grace, Lord, as we as a church, Lord, set out to do your work in this community, Lord. May we back it with our money. You have given us much. Lord, we lean on you, we look to you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.